the Making Sense of Life podcast number 62. According to J.K. Rowling, life is difficult and complicated and beyond anyone's total control. The humility to know that will enable you to survive its vicissitudes. The Making Sense of Life podcast will not only empower you to navigate through a fast-changing world, but also to grow in body, mind and spirit. Inward change precedes outer transformation. As the ancient Greek author Plutarch once said, what we achieve inwardly will change outer reality. This podcast is sponsored by Logos Medical Legal. Sunil also works privately with senior leaders. Go to drsunil.com forward slash corporate to find out more. Hello and welcome again to the Making Sense of Life podcast with me, Sunil Raheja. Just want to say again, uh, thank you to wherever you are out there in the world. Maybe you're driving, maybe you're doing the dishes or whatever you're doing. I just want to say thank you for um, taking time to listen to uh, the Making Sense of Life podcast. We know that you've got many choices out there. So we really want this time to be a, a great investment for you and a great encouragement as well. If you're a regular listener, then you will know that on the podcast, we often interview authors of books that can help us to make sense of life in a world that is often so complex and challenging. Well, today we're interviewing another book author, um, but the subject at first glance might not seem that complex or challenging. We're going to talk about food and cooking. Now, I'm sure you know cookbooks are popular all over the world, but the cookbook we're going to discuss is no ordinary cookbook, and it's also about much more than having a great meal, in fact, a great Indian meal. And I love my Indian meals, as you know, coming from an Indian background. So today we're going to interview Amanda Clegg. Amanda, it's great to have you. Thank you very much for having me. So Amanda is a co-author with uh, Victoria Byrne of a very unusual cookbook called Hope and Spice, Authentic Recipes and Stories of Transformation from the Slums of Delhi. Now, I've got a copy of the book with me in front of me, and it's an amazing book, and we're going to put a link to the Hope and Spice website um, on, on the show notes that go with this podcast. But a beautifully colourful book with beautiful recipes, beautiful pictures of food, but also beautiful pictures of people from the Slums of Delhi or who worked with the Slum Dwellers of, of Delhi. But before I get to that, let's talk a little bit more about Amanda. So, Amanda, it's great to have you with us. Let's start uh, by just telling us a little bit about, about yourself. So I'm married, I live in London, and I have two grown-up sons. Um, and in terms of my background, in terms of what I do, I'm a family ma- mediator in terms of my day job now, but I have a background of working in the food industry in marketing and innovation, which I've done for a long time. So food, in terms of my work, has been something that I've always been interested in. I've always loved to cook. I have memories of standing in the kitchen with my mother, asking to help, standing on a step, stirring things over her shoulder. So food is something, both recreationally and professionally, that I've worked with for a long time. So there's a great interest in food and a great passion and love for India as well. So tell us about that as well. Okay, so... Um, My maternal grandmother was born in Calcutta and there are some lovely memoirs of hers um, written by her reflecting on her childhood growing up in India and then my paternal grandparents lived and worked in Assam in a place called Digboy 
My grandfather was the general manager of an oil refinery there. Um, and my father was born there. And so I've grown up with a lot of kind of family stories about India, a lot of kind of folklore, if you like, stories of um, my, my grandfather's exploits, particularly in terms of shooting and um, having a lot of a lot of fun in India as a bachelor. But you only went to India t- in 2008 for the first time, is that right? That's right, yes. Yeah. So I'd never been before, but I'd always wanted to go. Um, all the stories that I'd heard, all the pictures that I'd seen um, made me think, I think this is a place that I would really love to visit, but I just hadn't had an opportunity before. Yeah. But you also, I'm sure you went to see the sites, the Taj Mahal and everything like that, but you also went to help in one of the slums of Delhi, which is not really the typical place where most tourists want to go to in India. And I think that had quite a life-changing impact on you it did that's right so in 2007 um, I went to a talk by a local group that had come back from volunteering in a slum in Delhi and I was really captivated by what I heard them talk about their experiences with the people their experiences of the charity called Asha that were working with the people in that particular slum and so the next year uh, there was another trip going out to volunteer and I thought, you know, I would, this is something I would really love to do. It's an opportunity for me to go and see India. But more than that, it's an opportunity for me to um, not just be a tourist, but actually engage with the people and also engage with people that um, perhaps are a little bit invisible in terms of their own, you know, the culture and the people there. Um, so that was really, really attractive to me. I thought, actually, this looks a really, really great thing to go and do. And I'd never done anything like that. I'd never done any volunteering in that way and I suppose that first trip you wouldn't have realized that you would actually keep coming again and again as a volunteer with the charity Asha that you are now a trustee of which I am as well but you're very very involved with that um yes and uh, yeah tell us a bit more about Asha because obviously that's really inspired your imagination and uh and your love for India and meeting uh, Dr Kieran Martin as well Mm. So Asha was founded by Dr. Kieran Martin in um, 1988. Dr. Kieran Martin at that stage was a young, newly qualified Indian paediatrician and she felt increasingly um, challenged, I suppose, by the lack of provision of healthcare for the poor. And um, she decided one day that she would go and do something about it and she went into one of the slums and she sat down under a tree with her medical bag, and she started treating people, and at that yeah, and there was a cholera ap- outbreak at the time that was that particularly, particularly as it were, brought to attention the, the health needs there. That's right. Well, and, and in fact, in some ways, that was quite fortuitous, and obviously, it wasn't for the for the people. But Kieran had been having a um, a kind of repeated exchange with the slum lord that was controlling that particular slum, and she would go and and sit and try and treat them, and he would say, "Actually, you're not welcome. Please leave." And this happened two or three times. And um, and then there was the cholera outbreak. And actually, she went back and he said, yes, please. Yes. Actually, I need your help. Yeah. And and obviously, that was in 1988. Um, and she began to see that to make an impact, I mean, it, it, I mean going to India is, is overwhelming. Going to a slum is overwhelming in terms of the needs that there are, the people, the amount of people, the health needs. Everywhere you look, the, the, everything looks pretty ropey pretty you know really needs some kind of help and she began to then see that she couldn't do this by herself and she be- began to get the trust of a lot of the women there and began to empower them to 
that they could make a difference. People, you know, who who had nothing really. Uh, it's it's a, it's a remarkable story, and she's a remarkable woman. Her and her husband, uh, Freddie, mm. in terms of what uh, Usher has been. So tell us a bit more about that, because I think it's it's just it's it's beyond just as it were um, giving medicines to treat somebody, but it's actually seeing what does holistic well-being look like, body, mind, and spirit, in as a complete person. And so that's what she's re- she's done in it. Well, the charity Usher that she's char- started how that's galvanised that and how that's brought that about. I think she realised that um, the need was so great that she, as one person, and even if she had a small team around her, she couldn't fix it on her own. And the only way, like you say, that she could really make a difference was by empowering the women in the communities. And I think she also felt it was incredibly important that, um, that whatever interventions they did became sustainable and that the community learnt to help itself. And so I think that's what she saw in the women. She saw the potential to be able to train them, if you like, as barefoot doctors, to be able to equip them um, to be community health volunteers. And it was a very clever system. So the slums, you know, uh, um, are a series of lanes and she would find a woman to be responsible for that lane. So it was a sort of bottom-up system whereby she trained them, she gave them a simple medical box with... Um, you know, maybe 10 or 12 simple medical interventions in, you know, whether it be antibiotics or contraceptions or, you know, rehydration solution, whatever it was, um, that that kind of basic primary healthcare um, interventions that could be transformative to people who were living in um, really poor conditions with dirty water, without toilets, with, um, you know, very cramped conditions, that those sort of illnesses were were rife and so by going in and actually training the women they could make a substantial impact um, and when you look at the stats now for Asher slums compared to other slums they're better you know infant mortality rates are lower etc etc yeah and this so is they the... have made a, a phenomenal difference yeah and this is obviously a work that's gone on for 30 years because she started she worked in one slum she built a trust of women in one slum really saw the difference they could make then once that that started, then there was she repeated that with other slums, and they, they developed a diagnostic centre. I think that was in 1990, uh, where they could then for more complex diseases go on there. But then she began to see that actually it's not just about treating illness; it's about well, you know, the best health outcomes come from clean drinking water, mm-hmm. better sanitation. And the women were coming to her saying that we have to go into a park and or squat. On, on a rail track if we're going to go to the toilet you know such a degrading thing but also such an unhygienic thing as well mm-hmm. so she began to see that it's much bigger than that you need to involve government officials you need to change the whole way that you look at how these people are living and what their aspirations are and i think again it was a way of bringing the women together and saying to them actually collectively you have a voice you know individually maybe you don't feel like you do But collectively, if you go and lobby together, um, then they're going to have to take notice. And that's exactly what happened. You know, she would she would say to the women, you know, if you want a toilet block or if you need this open drain covering over or whatever, go to the MLA, go to the the, the, the government official, the MLA. yeah. Yeah. And and go and 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 actually sit in his office until, you know, en masse. So 10 or 12 of them would go and don't leave until he sees you and explain what you want and why and keep going back until something's done. And, you know, when you hear the women talking about how the difference for them of before 
feeling like their lives were restricted to their house that many of them talked about you know not really being able to go out of the home to this incredible feeling of actually they have a voice and they can get things done and they become respected members in their community um, and they work together they set up women's groups in the different slums where they you know share issues and and they problem solve together and you know they create an agenda of what needs to happen in the slums it's incredibly it's an incredibly effective model and it's really inspirational when you meet the women and you, and you hear them talk about how their lives have been impacted and empowered as a result and i think what's so amazing and inspiring about it is that this is obviously over 30 years and so we're seeing how starting under that tree trying to uh, give dish out uh, medicines for a cholera epidemic but persevering on and carrying on over the years and years we're, we're building trust seeing that it's not just about um medicines it's also about uh, living in dignity, having good sanitation, and then going on to education as well. And now, and we're now at the stage where a number of these people brought, brought up in slums are now going to university and have um, amazing opportunities now to completely transform their lives. And you got, I think, you got some two amazing stories that you, you, that you can share that really bring this bring this to life for us. Um, and we're going to get to the cookbook later on, but this is the background to why this cookbook Hope and Spice came about. Great. Well, I'd love to um, tell you about a lady called Samina. Samina lives in a slum community um, in an area called Selimpur, which is in um, northeast of Delhi. And she, I had met her a few times before I heard her story. And one day um, I asked her to, to tell me, paint a picture of her story and her life before and after getting involved with Asher. And this is what she said. She said that she and her husband had come to Delhi from their village. Um, her husband was in search of work. And I, it was a, you know, a classic story of going to the big city in search of you know bright lights and fame and fortune. Um, and that wasn't really what happened. He was in and out of employment, found holding down and getting a consistent job very difficult. They went on to have 10 children. That's a lot of mouths to feed. Um, Samina wasn't working. She said, she explained to me that she was illiterate at that time. Um, and so she felt very limited in what she could do. Plus in her community, the expectation was that the woman would stay at home anyway and would look after the children. And so for her, that meant being in one very small room. Um, with ten, with her husband and 10 children. <laughs> absolutely. Um, no running water, no bathroom, no kitchen. You know, none of the things that we take as normal. And that's going to be a huge range of children ages as well. If you think about it, 10 kids, that's, yeah. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And then she talked about how one day... Um, she was invited into the Asher Centre, I think, by one of the other ladies in the community. Um, and at first she was nervous. She wasn't sure that her husband would allow her to go. But after conversations and with a bit of persuasion, um, he gave his blessing that she could go and meet some of the other women there. And she became associated with the women's group. Um, and she got the she got offered the opportunity to be trained as one of these community health volunteers, and she so proudly showed me her her medicine box, and as well as talking about um, what she was able to do in the community from a health perspective, the other thing that was incredibly moving for her was that um, the Asher staff taught her to read and write, and this is a grown woman, a mother 
with kids, very competent in lots of ways, but really hampered by the lack of education. And they didn't belittle that, but they they taught her to read and write. And so she was so thrilled. She was showing me the medicines in her medical box, saying, look, I can read their names. I can read the labels. Um, and, you know, I can write prescriptions for people and I can I can... I can function properly and she was so thrilled to be um to have that sense of worth beyond looking after her children um yes because that's right because in that kind of society what has she's got it's just your, your children and feed them and, and no, nothing else and yet you have a woman now who is actually making a difference not just to her own family but to her community around her and how life-giving and empowering is that Absolutely. And and it went beyond that. She was then given the opportunity to train as a, a midwife in the community. And what better person to have as a midwife than someone that's had 10 children? <laughs> it's wonderful to see it, God's providence in a sense and, and provision in that way. Absolutely. And, and she just beamed with pride when she was recounting this. And she showed me her mobile phone and she said, everybody knows me. Everybody knows my number. You know, I will get called no matter you know what time of the day and day and night it is and I will go and I deliver all these babies and she was just absolutely thrilled to to have dignity to have had her potential spotted if you like and to have been able to make a tangible difference in her community that has helped so many other families um, and I think she loves that process of coming alongside the younger women who are the ones having the babies um, and showing them that that there is life beyond perhaps what their expectations are so it, it sort of becomes a virtuous circle no thank you that, that that's a wonderful story and it also sort of um, epitomizes as well and just reflect shows how it's 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 not just as it were you know um just doing good to somebody from from a distance but actually helping them to grow in every single way so not only is she now able to feed her family but she's also an agent of change and good in that community where there is so much darkness and so much that's negative. Mm, absolutely. And if I may, I'd love to tell you about a young person and their story from the slum. And this is a boy called Chandon who I met a few years back. Um, I was visiting another slum Asha, uh, slum that Asha work in called Shivan, Shivanagar. And that's where Chandon comes from. And um, he became associated with Asha when he was, I think, about 10 or 11 he joined the children's group. So as well as having women's group, Asha also set up groups for the children. Um, he was part of that. And as a result, he got taught some English and he got some IT skills um, and he got help with his education and he became part of you know, the community. Um, and just, just to add, just to say, because obviously a, a, a child growing up in a slum in Delhi has, in a sense, you don't exist because you're living in a slum. So you have no access to any education um you're you have no expectation of anything really and so what usher is enabled to happen is to start to begin that education but but chandan's story is, is remarkable in the sense of where it goes to and where it leads to absolutely right so chandan's father is a laborer um there are many people in you know in his community that are that do that sort of menial manual work or they you know litter pick or rag pickers and I think Chanda when he was young just assumed that that was his lot as his previous generations yeah for maybe hundreds of years well thousands of years maybe going back that they have no um, influence they have no money they have no opportunity and that's going to be their lot in life for generations to come Mm, absolutely but through becoming associated with Asha Chanda was encouraged to 
you know, stay in school to work hard. And he talked about coming to the Asher Centre and having that as a quiet place where he could study because it can be, you know, there's a whole family. Well, you're living in one room with all your siblings. Where else are you going to go with all the noise around and, and yeah, complete pandemonium around you? Exactly. There kind of isn't anywhere to study and there isn't any light um, apart from the hours or space. So um, having the Asher Centre was, you know, an incredible resource. And Chandon discovered that the longer he went to school, the more he loved maths. And, um, you know, he describes how with Asher's help, he could get extra textbooks and he could um, really begin to take his, his work and his studies seriously. He did phenomenally well in his class 12 exams, which are the equivalent of A-level. And with the support of Asher, he was encouraged to apply to university, which for a boy like him, you know, as you were saying earlier, is previously just a completely, well, he wouldn't even have known what university was, let alone ever have any aspirations that he could have a place there. Um, And he applied to Delhi University to do um, a bachelor's in mathematics, which he did. And when you look at his CV, in quite a lot of his modules, he actually got 100%. Amazing. Really, I mean, seriously incredible. This is a very naturally talented and who would have thought that if you'd seen him just, you know, wandering on, you know, in a slum in Delhi, no prospect, no hope, no nothing. Exactly. Um, and the story doesn't stop there because um, after he did his bachelor's, he then applied to do a master's in pure mathematics um, in, in Delhi, which he did again through Asher's support. Um, they also gave him opportunities to improve his English and he switched his studies from being in Hindi to being in English. Because I think so he had to make a huge language shift as well. Absolutely. And he talks about the value of some of the volunteers that have come to his community um, and spoken English with him over the years, uh, quite aside from the more structured support of um, some mentors that Asher have put in place for him to be able to you know, talk to him and, and, and help him on his journey. So he completed his master's. And the amazing thing is that now he is studying in London. He is studying at Imperial College, you know, a world-class institution for maths, um, doing another, doing a second master's as a stepping stone to a PhD because his master's didn't have a research element and he needs that in order to do a PhD. And his aspiration is to be um, an academic. He wants to make, you know, he wants to push mathematics on his particular area is algebraic topology, which is defining um, shapes through their mathematical properties. Don't ask me any more questions. <laughs> yeah, we that. don't understand more than that ourselves. Because <laughs> I'm getting on thin ice here. Um, but, it, you know, it is absolutely incredible to see this boy studying internationally. He's won a Chevening scholarship, which is a highly, highly competitive, you know, sought after um, scholarship um, to be able to come and study internationally. And he's so humble but he's so talented and you know and he started from a slum yeah. in Delhi with no prospects of anything whatsoever and this is the amazing thing that Usher has been if you like the catalyst that has yeah gone a seed that has sown that has gone far further than anyone could have thought or imagined mm, absolutely and and when you talk to Chandon as well as wanting to do things in the maths world he also wants to um continue to provide Um, sort of to unlock education to the disadvantaged in India. So he has a real heart to go back and to continue to invest in 
in his community and in other communities like that to to find a way to make sure that there are many other kids that can follow perhaps not in his exact footsteps but in similar footsteps maybe it's it's a reminder you know of what um in in our favorite book uh, and our favorite favorite teacher says sowing a seed 20 50 100 times what was sown yeah absolutely it's it's an example of multiplication isn't it and not just in the mathematical sort of literal <laughs> that's true that's a good point oh that's i didn't think of that yes. yeah. yeah in the more holistic sense yes, yeah that's, that's beautiful thank you for sharing that so that gives us a little bit of background as to why you're so passionate about the work of of usher um we heard earlier on that you're a foodie that you love your food um so you've got this passion for india passion for seeing lives change as we just heard of um Chandan and um, Samina as well and then you had an idea that came to you I think it was in 2016 17 something like that you had an idea tell us about this idea because this is where in a sense this is where we're weaving and we're going to I think we're going to break this podcast in a, in a little while we're, we're going to come to another one where we're going to go into a lot more detail but give us this idea about this idea of this book and and and, and what and, and how that came about so um the 30th anniversary of Asha was approaching and I, I was thinking, you know, is there a way that I can contribute to that um, in terms of fundraising, but in to- also in terms of raising the profile of Asha and raising the profile of these amazing women that I'd been going for 10, 11 years, repeatedly um, volunteering in their communities. And the favorite, my favourite part of that was always the visits to their homes, sitting on the, either on the floor of their homes or sitting on the bed and listening to their stories and hearing about their lives. And it suddenly occurred to me that actually kind of woman to woman, I knew nothing about how they cook for their families and what food they routinely um, cook. And I, 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 the more I thought about it, the more I became really curious about that because, you know, as a working woman here, you know, one of the things I just naturally do is make sure that I'm thinking about how I can provide a a diverse kind of um you know week of different meals that I know that my children will like and that will be nutritious and you know will fit in with our family budget etc and I suddenly thought and that's that's something that women or or families all over the world are thinking about rich poor wherever they are wherever they live what are they doing exactly completely it's just something that is um part of everyday life isn't it and so I became really curious to have those conversations with these women that I I talked to them about lots of other aspects of their lives but never that sort of domestic um, food cooking um, aspect and so I suddenly thought you know is there a cookbook here how about having their authentic recipes Um, and you know wouldn't that be lovely to be able to have food as a lens that we could get insight into their lives and I thought we could also combine that with some of their stories so that as well as their recipes, readers would be able to to have access to what I had had for 10 years, which is being able to hear about the challenges of living in those sorts of conditions and hearing how they're incredibly resilient and they overcome that and also the big difference that Asher has made. And so that was really where the idea came from, was to use food as an opportunity to give these women a voice and to give them a platform because in many ways they're invisible but actually I thought you know they needn't be invisible they're incredibly resourceful a lot of them are very creative 
um, so I floated the idea of a an Asher cookbook um, to to Dr. Kieran, who happened to be over in the UK in summer of 2017. And I said, what do you think? And she just loved the idea. And from then on, really, there was no looking back. I remember you sent an email and I, I actually dug it up before before you came in August 2017, sort of checking on 24th of August 2017. Uh, and what amazed me is that you sort of can have an idea. I mean, people, we all have ideas. But to take an idea and then flesh it out and think through what all the implications are, all the steps, and then actually make it happen takes a lot of skill. It takes it takes a lot of well skill. It takes perseverance. It takes energy. It takes a lot of oomph, as it were. Uh, and I, and for me, it's it, it it's been wonderful to see how that idea has come to life. For me, it's been a dream, and I think. I think the thing about it, yes, it was a lot of work, but when you're doing something that you're passionate about and something that you love, I mean, I love, I love the subject matter. I love food. I love hearing other women's stories. I love India. I love Asher. So in lots of ways, it was a, it was a dream project for me to be able to bring all of those strands together. Um, I also love photography um, and India as a country is incredibly photogenic, but so so are the slums they're amazingly vibrant colorful incredible communities where you'll walk around the corner and you'll see a goat wearing a jumper because you know that this is the family's prized possession and they're looking after it or you know so so it was wonderful to be able to bring together all those strands of showing people and bringing people into the slums that are not going to go yeah, and that's what's so exciting about because when you look at the book, you really you connect with these people, and there's some amazing stories. And it's probably worth mentioning uh, Victoria Byrne, who's your co-author as well. Mm-hmm. And I think it's it's lovely. It'd be lovely to just share how the two of you came together with this idea, because as, as you said, it's great to have the idea, but it takes it takes a lot of perseverance, but it takes a lot of skills, and some skills that you were able to recognise that you don't have. Mm-hmm. And it's wonderful to see how, in God's providence, the two of you came together and could work together on the project. Because um, anyway, again, you know, any great project, and I, I'm not trying to make Amanda out to be some amazing hero. I mean, she's, she's an amazing person, but <laughs> saying it, it takes teamwork as well. And I think that partnership between you and Victoria is quite remarkable as well. Oh, it's been such a blessing. So um, I, I felt, as I said earlier, very strongly that I wanted the book to have recipes in it, but I also wanted it to have the stories. And I thought in lots of ways, it's the stories that make the book really different because there's many you know many a bookshelf of Indian cookbooks if you go but I've never seen a book that's like this I, I, I think this is yeah. quite unique yeah so it was it was the authentic authenticity of the food but having the women's stories that was really going to make this different and from the get-go um, much as I, I love the women I was not confident in my skills as a writer to be able to convey um their their lives adequately and I think that was it was so important to me that that was done well and so um, I was looking for somebody that had been to visit Asher already that understood the context that had met some of the women but also had um, better skills to be able to really represent the women beautifully and and to sort of um enable their lives to sing. I felt entirely confident about writing the recipes and being able to focus from the food side of things. But but this requires a different skill set to get the stories. It, it, it requires a different part of the brain. It requires a different kind of person to do that. Yeah. And I think what was wonderful, what you were sort of saying to me, is that you had a list of people uh, by your computer that 
um, but you just didn't feel comfortable about that. And then one day, Victoria came to you for advice and for prayer and for guidance. Just tell us about it, because I think it's just wonderful. Yeah, it was, it was great. She just rang me up and said, you know, can I just come and have a chat? And we sat in the garden and, um, you know, we were having that kind of, how's life for you at the moment? Where are you at? Are you you know, what are the challenges, that sort of conversation. And it was amazing because if I had had a job description for the person I was looking for, um, which I didn't, but I had it in my head, um, Victoria sat there ticking every box. You know, she said, you know, my passion really is writing, but I also love editing and I love food and, I, you know, I'd love to work um, in something to do with food. And it was amazing hearing her. And she'd been to India the year before, and she'd been to the Asha Project the year before, and she'd known exactly what the kind of place you, you, that you, you were wanting to go to, to do this. Exactly. So it was just like, she she was perfect. She was, I just knew, as I listened to her talk, I knew that this was the right person to work with. Um, and, you know, we we work together very well. We're very different, but isn't that great? You know, difference brings strength. Different. Well, like we said, if 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 both two, two people think the same way, then one of them is, is irrelevant, really. Uh, and you need to see where your different skill sets are. And I think that's it. It's wonderful to see that partnership together. Mm. It's been it's been an absolute pleasure, and it continues. We're still working on some new things now, which I don't know whether we'll have time to talk about. But yeah, it's great. It's been. You know, we're a real we're a real partnership, and we we feel like it's such a privilege to be on this adventure together. And it's lovely to have someone to share it with because we find ourselves in all sorts of new and exciting situations all the time as a result of Hope and Spice. Not only in um, researching it, but then in where it's taken us since it's been launched. So it's it's great to work together. Amanda, th- thank you for your time and, and just opening this whole area to us. Um, in the next podcast, we're going to actually go into, we've heard about Amanda's uh, passion for India, for food, and the idea of a cookbook called Hope and Spice. The website is hopeandspice.com. That's A-N-D in the middle between Hope and yeah. Spice, is it? Yeah. yeah. Uh, and you can get it on Amazon. There'll be a link to it on, on the website. Um, so this this podcast has given you some of the background of the book. We're going to go into much more detail about the practical things. As I said earlier on, it's one thing to have an idea, but it's another thing to make that idea into reality. And again, you've heard something of the remarkable change that's come through the work of Usher over the last 30 years in Delhi. That in, you know, in a world where there is so much darkness, where there is so much complexity, there is so much to quite frankly moan and be negative about. But I think the Usher Project and the Hope and Spice book illustrate that there really is hope with with the grace and power of God. So thank you for listening and uh, do join us for the next podcast where we'll carry on the story about the Hope and Spice uh, authentic recipes and stories of transformation from the slums of Delhi. Thank you. If you've enjoyed today's conversation, you can get all the show notes for this episode from drsunil.com. And could you do us a favour? Head over to iTunes to rate the programme. This is by far the best way to get this content into the hands of those who need it most. Also, do you think about who you could pass details of the podcast on to? Don't forget to check out the blog for more great content. That's drsunil.com, helping you to make sense of life in a challenging and complex world. Until next time, goodbye for now.